Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coaches, welcome to episode 13 of season two of Essential Coaching Conversations. Uh, I'm trying to keep it down. My wife is upstairs sleeping, so she's trying to, you know, speak in a very even low tone of voice today. Uh, this is EC uh, Essential Coaching Conversations late night. Um, the last time we did one of these, we said we were going to go for like 45 minutes. I think we we went for like two hours. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, both of us seemingly properly caffeinated right now. And um, yeah, I think this this episode is going to be one where, you know, there's going to be a lot of reflection that happens, but I think a lot of good storytelling as well of, you know, <clears throat> our unlearning processes. Um, and really that's kind of been our whole journey as you alluded to in the pre-show, like the idea that instead of just learning more and more and more, we actually took the time to unlearn some of the sort of societal norms around coaching and teaching and education and all of those things. Um, or at least not, maybe not societal norms, but perhaps widely accepted things um, that you see on TV or whatever it is. But we'll get into all of that a little bit later. Um, Kyle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you to uh, welcome folks to the pod and then also for an announcement, um, because it is that time of year again um, for, for the Chuck's Challenge. So I'll throw it to you. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, good to be back on here with you. It's been a little, been a little over a week since we've gotten to see each other and a lot to catch up with on the pre-show and everything. So I appreciate everybody sticking with us and, and jumping back in and listening to us. But yeah, um, December Chuck's challenge time. So if you follow me on social media, you'll see the post I've got pinned to my uh, Twitter profile. You know, we recorded an episode on this last, uh, last year. I think it was episode 19. Um, I probably should have double checked that uh, before I, <laughs> before I threw that out. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to scroll real fast. Yeah. Episode 19 season one, um, last end of last November, where we dove into, uh, hashtag Chucks for MDC and the Chucks challenge and what that means. And this is actually year five of the Chucks challenge, but a friend of mine that was uh, taken way too soon through a, a tragic act of drunk driving in 1999. So it's been 24 years. Um, and you know, it was, he always wore Chuck Taylors and I started wearing them as a, you know, around the anniversary, just as a, as a remembrance of him and coached in them, you know, that week during the holiday tournaments. And then when I got out of coaching, I seemed gracefully um, and graciously stepped in kind of in my stead. And then we started spreading this message around and it's been awesome to see, you know, dozens and dozens of States have jumped in people from a dozen or so countries around the world have messages spread. And, um, you know, so even if you don't own a pair of Chuck Taylors, you can, um, you know, at least share the message and, and maybe, maybe get somebody to, to think about, you know, uh, a potential life changing and tragic decision and something that can raise some awareness to somebody. So, um, I was able to kind of spread that message with a lot of people on my Monday morning DMS, and it was great to hear from a lot of people. So it is the time of year. So if anybody's interested in, um, learning more about that, you can check out episode 19, we can link that in the show, or you can check out, uh, the post on, on social media, but it's very simple wear a pair of Chuck Taylors and, um, kind of share the story. So, 
Um, if you, if you practice in them, if you coach in them, and it'd be great if, uh, we usually ask if you can take a picture of it, uh, maybe you get your staff or your team to wear some, you know, to practice or shoot around that day or at school that day, or even if you're just, you know, if you're teaching or you're, you own a jewelry store, or you're working in a bank or whatever, just, um, you know, we don't want to exclude anybody from being able to be a part of it and spread the message. So it is that time of year. Um, today is actually the anniversary of the wreck and tomorrow is the anniversary of the death. And so I wore my Chuck Taylors to work, uh, today and I will, I will certainly be wearing them tomorrow and heart's kind of heavy, uh, this time of year. And that's on my mind. So, um, wanted to take a second to, you know, just thank everybody that's been a part of this in the past and for everybody that'll jump in, you know, later this month. And, um, if you have questions or, you know, just want more context or want to talk about it at all, I'm always here to do that. So, Appreciate everybody for doing that. But um, anyway, great to be on the pod with you, man. Um, I know you and I've got a lot going on. Um, you've got your season kicking off and it's been kind of difficult for us to get together. So I'm always grateful when we can find the time to um, between life and wife and babies and dogs and coaching and traveling uh, to get the time to do this. I might start keeping my microphone in the car and just, uh, you mm. record on on the commute. I got about a forty. Those like forty forty five minute phone conversations we have at like four thirty are probably more beneficial than these, right. Right. like nine, ten, eleven o'clock right. at night. Might, might just have to do that. We'll we'll file that one away for us. Um, let's uh let's jump in with the would you rather or sorry with the athlete shout out first. Um. I am I am going to go with the former quarterback of the Iowa Barnstormers, um, also the St. Louis Rams, Kurt Warner, uh, because I remember. So that was um, Trent Green used to be the quarterback in Washington. He ended up then being the quarterback that replaced Kurt Warner, I think, or vice versa. So, you know, you follow players that played for your favorite team growing up and the free agency and all that. stuff. So anyway, just like hearing Kurt Warner's story, I think is actually fairly um well documented now but i think if you think about like the unlearning thing right kurt warner was like a nobody and every nfl scout was like oh no this guy can't play and he ends up being like a hall of famer right so i think they the the amount of unlearning that had to happen in order for kurt warner to get a shot at really like leading what what were they called the greatest show on turf isn't that what they were the called show back on in the turf day? yep uh, with Dick Vermeil, Tory Holt, Marshall Falk, all of those guys, they rallied around number 13, Kurt Warner. And then he went to the Cardinals and had great success there. So uh, my number 13 is Kurt Warner. And the close second was going to be Doug Christie, but he's kind of a weird guy. So I'm going to go no-go on Doug Christie. So I actually had thought about Kurt Warner. We were really close to picking the same person for the first time. This is probably the closest we've gotten uh, to that. Cause I think his story is unbelievable. It's awesome. Right? Uh, especially in the NFL playing the mm -hmm. hardest position in the, in sport, you just don't like Kurt Warner's one of one. You, mm -hmm. you just don't get people like that, that ha are, are unknowns and, you know, played at small school. It's not even like he played at a power five school or anything like that. I mean, you know, small college, indoor arena football league. Um, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he's a Super Bowl champion. He's an MVP. He went, he won two MVPs in the league. Um, and just apps all pro, you know, first team, this first team that led, led in 
all the statistical categories and absolutely just amazing story. You just don't, you just, we just don't see that. And so I do think he, his pick for you is pretty timely for our lesson or our, our, our lesson, <laughs> our oh, yeah. episode tonight. Um, because yeah, there was a lot of unlearning that had to, people had to change their tune and to even wrap their minds around that. And it makes you almost wonder like how many more Kurt Warners could there be out there? You know, if we would maybe change the way we, we think about things. Um, so, but mine, I'm, I'm going to take a kind of a long walk for a short drink of water here, but I'm going to tie this. No, we're, we're into hoop season. It's my bulldog basketball team's going, um, got a chance to talk about one of my favorite bulldogs of all time. Um, and so, uh, just bear with me here. I'm, I'm going with number 13, Paul George. And the reason why I'm going with Paul George is because Paul George played at Fresno state in college. Fresno state was in the Western athletic conference back then, 2008, 2009, 2010, uh, George played there in nine and 10. And we were in the whack with them. And my personal favorite, uh, bulldog of, uh, of all time is Kyle Gibson. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about Kyle in the past, but I got a front row seat of watching Kyle Gibson give Paul George straight buckets two years in a row. When we, I think we may have split the season series with them both years, but there was a, a in 2009, Kyle went, he played 39 of 40 minutes. He went eight of nine from the floor, six of six from three point range, hit all four of his free throws four rebounds, had five steals in that game, put up 26. But the thing that I loved about Kyle Gibson, he's lit, he was the consummate teammate, literally did anything you needed to win. And one of those things was guarding the best player on the other team. So whilst playing 39 minutes and going six of six from deep, he guarded Paul George of his 30 minutes and held him one of six from the field for eight points. Six of Paul George's points were from the free throw line. He got one bucket. And so when we talk about like the consummate teammate, do everything you've got to do to, 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 to win a game or anything like that, my mind always goes to, to KG. Um, and so I watched him absolutely abuse um, Paul George. And I got to do it again the next year. Uh, KG put up 32. He hit seven threes in that game. He went seven of 12. He was perfect from the line, six rebounds. And uh, he guarded Paul for 30, 37 minutes. Paul George had 18 in that game, but he was six of six from the field, one of six from three. So five of his 16 points came from the free throw line. And Paul George has obviously been an incredible, you know, NBA talent and NBA player. But I think KG's story is, is, is somewhat kind of like a Kurt Warner where it's like a little bit of an unknown. And KG's been a consummate pro in mm. Europe for 20 years, winning championships every single where that he goes. So I say this to segue into the next thing. I think KG has uh, it, which will preface us into a, a, a an episode that we're well, going to have. You're getting the uh, preview right now. A, a little bit later to... down the road. But Kyle Gibson had freaking had it. And it did not matter what the situation was and what you needed. He was going to freaking figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and watch him go against a, an, an obvious professional um, in Paul George. So this is episode 13, the Paul George roundabout way to Kyle Gibson episode. Thank you. We're, Fresno State was the Bulldogs too, right? They were, yep. So yep. it works on multiple levels, your favorite Bulldog. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's 
I didn't know that Kyle. I actually think you've actually talked about this before, where Kyle Gibson gave Paul George buckets. Um, I bring it up every chance I get. I I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that wholeheartedly. I feel like that's Christmas party conversation down in Ruston, right? Oh, yeah. Like, hey, y'all remember that time KG gave Paul George buckets? It was a uh, thing to see, man. I bet it six was six of six, six of six from three. That's impressive. Because you know what that means. Guess who was guarding KG? Paul George. Paul George. Okay. Thank you. Well, isn't Paul George like all defensive NBA first team? Oh, yeah. And he's like, thing? he's like a yeah. seven foot wing. He's long and he's just, he's yeah. like the he's thing outside very... of car dealership. You know, like the big, like, wavy thing. <laughs> yeah. He's a wacky, okay, waving, we, inflatable. This arm. is what happens when it's late night essential coaching conversation. This is what the stuff, type of stuff we talk about. Um, do you have, you have this week's would you rather? Yeah, real simple. Um, very, very simple. So regardless of sport, context, anything like that, if you could go through your season and you could be undefeated, would you rather be undefeated at home or undefeated on the road? You know, I feel like there's a lot of teams, and maybe this is one of those unlearning things too. There's a lot of teams that set the goal of like being undefeated at home and like protecting their home court. But then in the same vein, those same coaches will say, like, hey, we need to learn how to win on the road. Right. Like we we have to learn how to win on the road, like defense travels, like all of these sort of coachisms and coach speakisms. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, then I would honestly rather be undefeated on the road if we're going into hostile environments and like we know how to play in that and we win in those situations. Like it doesn't mean we, it's a zero sum game and we couldn't be undefeated at home, but I, I think I would rather be undefeated on the road because I think that tests the metal of your team a little bit more. I I'm typically one to say that I love the sound. I've said this before on here. I like the sound of a dead quiet, road gym versus a raucous home gym because i do think that 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 toughness that grit um but i'll play i'll, I'll go the other way just for argument's sake here i do think at home there's a little bit more controllable mm. playing at home and so if we are undefeated at home i do think there is a certain level of um pride in protecting the home court and, you know, we don't lose in here. This is what we do. Like we're protecting the house and there, there is a certain level of having a little bit more control, the controllables when you're at home versus when you're on the road. Um, and so I think if you are undefeated at home, that sort of telling me that we're handling everything that we can handle. And I think a little bit more luck is involved potentially when you're on the road, because there are certain things you can't control traveling, get stuck in a, like one of our teams got stuck for two and a half hours on the way back from Nashville the other day for, you know, on a 10 hour bus ride and right, they're, right. they're, they're stuck in traffic and, you know, restaurants don't have your food and you're dealing with hotels and all this and that. And so to your point, like you have to overcome all those things. So I think that's obviously very valid, but um, I do think there is, there is a little bit of sense of pride of like protecting the house. Um, and so I would probably say I'd rather go undefeated at home Um I say that as a Rangers fan, they just went undefeated on the road in the World Series to to win the thing, which is amazing. So um, they they weren't good at home; they couldn't win at home. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'll I'll probably 
again, just more for kind of being contrarian, say, uh, on at home, but there, there's a little bit of sticking power for me and just saying like, Hey, we, we don't lose in front of our own fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think there's a sense of pride about that. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. I think that's why it's a really good, would you rather question, right? Like I think there's validity to both of them. Um, definitely validity of both of them. Um, but that being said, we've prefaced it a few times today. Um, with the idea of unlearning. And if you've been following the chat, uh, hashtag EC Raka chat, R-A-C-A chat um, on Twitter, I refuse to call it X. That's just stupid. So on Twitter, um, we have been doing, or we started a couple weeks ago, a series on unlearning. And this is a bit of a shout out to our conversations with Kip um you know founder of teams of men he talks a lot about unlearning and i think the more that you and i have sort of embraced that idea of unlearning i I think you and i have found that the majority of our journey together over the last i mean what's been seven years now something like that um at least over the last five for sure has been one of growth but that growth came from and continues to come from unlearning things that we were either taught or we absorbed or came to us by osmosis because we just like were exposed to so many of these ideas um particularly in coaching but i think even more so in in just in education in general um and that includes coaching right because all of our coaching experience has generally been scholastic i mean we've done a little bit of club things here and there but um primarily scholastic and so being in the educational environment um you know and i and i i think it's just like i think i was telling my team something similar to this of like eight years ago and I have a picture on my wall in my office of myself eight years ago with, you know, high giving a high 10 to one of my players. It's like a really cool picture of like just our excitement. And I think eight years ago, like I was telling some of my kids, like I would not have known how to have the conversation we were having right then and there. Right. And being able to say like, I had to unlearn my preconceived notions about what a coaching conversation could sound like in order to, you know, now eight years later, serve you better. Um, I think some coaches may look at that and say like, yeah, well, you just learned how to do it. I'm like, sure, you learn how to do it, but you also have to remove the old habit. And I think we as coaches try to do less of the removal of old habits. And it's more of just like layering on the paint and creating a, this this new layer of habit or this new layer of adjustment or this new layer of adaptation, if you want to use sort of like the, the evolutionary term, right? Like we're just adding things onto it so that we can hide the old habit. And I think that's what the difference is in unlearning it's not like I'm just going to change my actions, but it's also like I am fundamentally going to change my behavior 
and my pattern of thinking and catch myself in the moment or even be proactive. So we think like good, better, best. We're having this conversation today. Like it's good that we're able to have this conversation now. It would be better if we were able to have it in the moment, but what would be best is if we're proactive to get rid of it altogether. And so I think in the unlearning process, it's the same thing, right? Like it's good to know that there's a problem. It's better to like address it in the moment, but it's really as best to replace that habit altogether. And so how do you do that? Well, you have to unlearn that habit and, and remove sort of those pathways to that habit and then replace it with something else. Um, and so to me, that's sort of like the crux of what unlearning is. And I think it's a very powerful, like it's a skill, um, just like learning is a skill. I think unlearning is also a skill. Um, but I'm curious about your your take initially on this topic of unlearning. Yeah, I would say that our our entire journey, uh, like you said, specifically the last five years or so, has not been one of learning. It has been one of unlearning and us breaking down old bad habits and trying to recreate and build new habits. And, and this may be the, I think I had like six meetings today and it's late at night. So I, this may be just my brain being done. I don't know. But I almost feel like Unlearning, let me say this, I, as, as we said in our chats, unlearning is an active process. And I would almost say that learning as we kind of do it and know it today, quote unquote learning, is not really an active process. It is just the absorption and the memorization and the, 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 the just ledgering of, of, of information into our heads by osmosis, as you said. So learning as we typically think of it is not really an active process. It doesn't take a lot of energy to learn something. It takes a heck of a lot more energy and is a lot more active to unlearn something because unlearning is where the reflection is and reflection and constant, constant asking questions, curiosity, skepticism, willing to ask the next question, being willing to even just push back on conventional wisdoms or, or why something is, you know, instead of just accepting it for what it is, I think that takes more courage as well. I think that takes a little bit more toughness, a little bit more grit, a little bit more self-assurance that you can handle that kind of stuff. You have to be willing to ask those questions and maybe be looked at to be made a fool a little bit. You have to be willing to maybe get under people's skin, rub them the wrong way, be blocked on Twitter, you know, be labeled as contrarian, be, all of those things where it's like, man, this guy's being a jury. It's like, no, I'm just, I'm asking the question, which is forcing the you then. Celebration is when I get blocked on Twitter. I love it. I love <laughs> Absolutely. Celebrating in group chat, right? Like that's it's like, a right. Thing. I mean, like we want another one. And then, cause what eventually happens is that person that blocks eventually comes back because they hear something and they don't, you know, and then they're like, the curiosity gets the best of them and they, they eventually always come back. Right may get blocked multiple times, but it's a, it's an ongoing, like evolutionary adaptive process. And so I almost would be willing to sort of state at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night on this Monday is we're running on fumes that learning is a lot more passive than what we give it credit for. And unlearning is a much more active process. And so I think there's more value in that. And then by virtue of the unlearning, of course, we eventually learn something, right? Um, but there, there are, so many things that we 
can't really help that we're exposed to the way we're brought up culturally, the way that, you know, when we're six years old, that daddy ball practices were being run, the way that the AAU circuit is set up, the way that, you know, rivals and, and, and scouting systems are set up in terms of sport, the way that the educational system is set up, the way that your state and your local governments are set up. Like there's so many things that you just grow up around that you don't really get the chance to reflect on and ask questions about why things are happening the way they're happening. It just is. It's the way things are always done here. And that, as we've talked about in the past, is like one of the most dangerous things from a climate and cultural standpoint is just, well, that's how the, that's how things happen over here. So if every single, the, those of you out there that are, you know, the first 10 minutes of your practice are static stretching, two-line passing, three-man weave, and, you know, two-line layups, it's like, it's not necessarily saying that, okay, that's the wrong thing to do, but why are you doing them that way? You quote unquote learned it that way. And you have to go through this process of unlearning it and then relearn the way that you really want to do it or the way that you feel that you need to do it. And again, I, I just feel like it takes a little bit more of somebody to be willing to go down the unlearning process and have the ability and the, the courage, I'll say, to just simply ask why. Is there a better way? Why are we doing this the way we're doing this? And, and a lot of times when you're having to ask those questions, you're doing it from a place or a position that is less in, in a position of less power to somebody else in a position of power. And that's where I feel like that courage piece comes in because you have to walk into somebody that's been quote unquote doing this for 25 years and has won a bunch of games or they've been your principal or they've been your boss for however long. And for you to walk in there as the little upstart pipsqueak and say, well, why are we doing it this way? And I just think back to all of those practices that I had as a coach, as a head coach that I was running. And I wouldn't do made up statistic 90% of that stuff now. And it took the Chris Olivers and the Brian McCormick's and the Asim Rostogis and the, the Thursday night group chats and those things to challenge those conventional wisdoms and push me to make me think and make me have to defend why I'm doing what I'm doing and force me to unlearn how to be a teacher, force me to unlearn how to be a coach, and then eventually go down the pathway of, of, of rocking and reflecting on what the heck I actually need to do. Because I, I definitely think there is a, a difference between this is what I've been doing Versus this is what I need to be doing. So I can keep giving you the same recycled crap over and over again, or I can give you what you actually need. So as you were talking, I was thinking about our friends who are Gen Z, right? Like our young people who are Gen Z and even, you know, us as sort of like the elder millennial types. And there's all this like, content out there right on on instagram twitter tiktok whatever about how like you know people don't want to work anymore and they're lazy or they're entitled or whatever it is and really i think you know we give a little bit of credit where credit is due i think that gen z and, and millennials and stuff they're sort of like they want to go through that unlearning process because all the things that they were taught matter and work and all of that stuff have like generally proven not to be true 
And there's like this, this other generational challenge where, you know, boomers and things like that are like, well, no, just do what I tell you to do. Like, don't ask me why. And so I think it's sort of this resistance to unlearning and thinking that like, oh, well, I, this is like you said, like this is the old way we've always done it. Like, why would we change it? It works. Um, it's like, well, what does it mean that it works? And I think that's one of those things that, and if you can hear a little scratching sound, my dog is trying to dig a hole to China right now in the couch. Um, she's trying to get settled. So I apologize if that's coming through on the mic. I don't know if it is or not. Um, you know, but realistically, like, what are, what are we really trying to say works and does it work all the time or does it work the majority of the time? Like, are we good at the things that happen the most? And so one of the, one of the biggest examples I can think of is like, you know, you mentioned practice time and I, I hearken back to some of my experiences being an assistant, um, you know, out in Oklahoma, for example, like for, you know, Norman North boys basketball or at VCU or, you know, being at Brandeis, whatever it is, any, any time I'd ever been an assistant and I'd come into practice, the practice plan was already written, you know, maybe I had input, maybe I didn't. And I look at it and we're spending like, you know, 25, 30, 40 minutes on one thing, right? One like in install of a defense, for example. And yet we knew that we were never going to use that defense, right? We, we knew that. But for that week, we would spend the equivalent of like two full practices just doing that. On the off chance, we might need it. And then we never touched it again, nor did we ever talk about it again. And so the ability to unlearn, like, hey, you don't need that, right? We don't need to think like, yes, we have this activity, but realistically, there's no accomplishment there. We're not learning anything. So our players are just being put through these motions. They're bored. And we they know in their heart of hearts, we're never going to do this. So I even then think that and then relate that to like school. All these kids are like, when am I ever going to need calculus? You're probably not. Now, there are some skills you can learn and like the, the resilience part and all of that. Like, cool. But we can teach those things in another way. We can teach those things in a way where it's actually more salient and more reasonable for those kids. And I think that's what it takes for adults now to unlearn all of those pathways and things that like, well, that's just the way we did it when I was younger, or that's what my mentor did. So that's what I'm going to do. Right. Like I think those things by and large inform the unlearning process. So like, I think the challenge that you and I have, have faced and that we've kind of gone through this endeavor together is to think about like, what have I been told by anybody who's ever done this before? what have I been told works that I just accepted as the gospel and decided never to investigate. And then once I investigated it, I was like, bro, why, why have I spent so long doing this? Right. So like 
alley drill is a great example. Like, you know, your zigzag, full court zigzag drill. Bro, I remember interviewing for my, my first head coaching job and they asked me like how I would build a defensive mindset. And my answer was that we were going to do alley drill every day. I have not done alley drill since like 2017. Like we stopped doing it a year in, into me having that job. Because I unlearned that like this was dumb. Like this was not helping us win. Right. It was not helping us stay in front of the ball. It was just wearing my players out. Right. So I think there's there's things like that that and that's really the salient question, right? It's like what have you absorbed? What have you been taught? What has somebody told you is the way it was supposed to be that ended up being incorrect or incomplete or any of those things. And I think there's too that incomplete piece. Like sometimes it's not wrong, it's just incomplete information. And our unlearning process needs to take us through how to figure out the rest of that information. I think that's really hard as well. Yeah, I think about some of these things like when we got into or started teaching, right? Like, don't smile until Thanksgiving. You know, <laughs> practices aren't supposed to be fun. You know, it's it's one of the things that kind of drives me nuts, not the you know, when I read Teach Like a Champion, however many years ago, it kind of drove me nuts about Doug LaMob and everybody like is all up on Doug LaMob and this and that. And I remember reading something in in that and it was like the thing that stood out to him about all these master teachers was their ability to push content like all the time. And so I remember thinking like, oh, okay, that's what it's about. Like you got to be able to push content. And it was like, no, they freaking have a relationship to be able to push content when they want to to trick kids into thinking about content. They've done the the necessary human component work. They recruit those kids every single day. And there was a much deeper level to getting to that kind of stuff. And, but when somebody famous who writes a book, you know, tells you this is how you're supposed to do something. Or when somebody that's got 50 years of education experience tells you don't smile until Thanksgiving, you got to let them know who's boss then that takes a very long time for you to start thinking like, well, maybe there's another way because like this isn't really working. Not to mention that things are different now. Things are constantly evolving. And so if we're just taking, you know, things at face value and just constantly running with them because that's how it worked for somebody else in one particular context, maybe 30, 40 years ago, doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the case for us now. I think just even having the awareness to ask that question is a massive step piece to the to to unlearning and when it comes to establishing your culture or your climate you always hear like culture is what we do here but for new folks or for if you're taking over a new job like yourself it's also a lot about and probably just as important about what we don't do here that's how you've been doing it and that was your culture well, in order for us to establish a new culture, for us to, you know, create these new standards and, and the norm of how we do things here, we've got to talk about what we don't do here. And there's definitely more value in doing the right thing than, you know, avoiding the wrong thing. But avoiding the wrong thing is a great step in that direction, at least initially to understand like, hey, it might, it's going to take us a while to achieve the culture we want. But that's why that climate piece is so important. And let's talk about what we're not going to do here. And I think that's sort of the first step or first layer even 
in the unlearning process of, hey, we want you to do this, but in order to get down that road, you can't go down this road. You've got to stop doing these things to open up the bandwidth or the capacity to start doing the right things over on this side. And, you know, if you're out there and you can, you can shoot us a message of some of these other little isms out there, like don't smile until Thanksgiving. I know that I, I had three or four in my head. Now they're all escaping me because it's late. Um, but I would love to kind of hear some of those things that, that folks out there have sort of flipped the script on and, and what, what they would do. And it, it might be something technical, tactical, like, you know, choppy feet closeouts or, three-man weave and zigzag drill and stuff like that from a contextual, you know, like a basketball practice. But even just in how we run a classroom, even, you know, don't ask questions. I'm the teacher. Do as I say. And now it's like, no, ask questions. Like, don't do anything I say. I, I would often, you know, give give kids wrong in, in direction or say things that were incorrect or kind of lie to them a little bit and just make – or say things that sort of contradicted myself just to get them to not trust everything that I said, make them curious about what I was going to be doing to, to force them to think and get into the habit of everything I see and hear and read isn't necessarily true. Oh, well, it was on the internet. Oh, well, it's in a textbook. Oh, somebody famous said it on TV. It's like, no, that's not necessarily correct. And, and it might be good for that particular person in that particular spot, but you've got to go down that active process of asking the question and unlearning. And I think my, my scientific background and scientific method and being able to ask questions and the, the skepticism and the curiosity is probably why I'm wired that way. I, I think I have to give sort of credence and credit to that time in my life where I was sort of trained to think that way. I don't know if I would have ever gotten there as a coach if I didn't have the education side of it, specifically the, the scientific side of things. Um, and so I kind of cringe about where I might be, um, on this journey much, much less, not nearly as far down this pathway. Um, if I didn't have that side of me. And then again, of course, you know, as we've talked about several, several times, you know, you and I being able to get together and ask these questions and being willing, like willing sparring partners and competitors in deep thought to be able to throw questions back at each other and, you know, maybe disagree or, Hey, well, what, what do you think about this? Or, you know, come at it from a different point of view. And when you hear all the time, like the, the, the quote unquote real world, that's the type of space you have to live in. That's not the space our kids live in, in school. Mm -hmm. It's not the space that they live in, in sport. And they're not allowed to sort of go down this unlearning pathway. They're, you're just sort of forced into this compliant box. And that's what's going to make you successful. Um, and actually, something just popped in my head here. So, like, think about what our parents were told and what they told us about how to get ahead in life. Go to college, get a degree, buy a house, get married, and everything will be fine. And it's amazing, like how many people our age and even looking at our parents are like, man, like you didn't have to go that route. Most people are bucking that route. Like they're, they're, they're actively saying like, no, that's not the way we need to do things. And maybe that was good again, 40 years ago, but times change and, 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 and things evolve. And if we're not unlearning with those times, then I feel like that's how we get into these cyclical things that we, you know, and the deeper we go down the hole, the harder it is to get out of them. 
would you would you agree then that unlearning and evolution are if not synonymous then adjacent yeah because i think that when when our thought processes can evolve and we you know you always hear the phrase like you got to know what you don't know i don't know if that's true i think it's probably better said of like I don't even know. Like you got to know what you didn't learn or like, you know what I mean? Like something like that, right? It's late. I can't really put words together, but I think the idea being that, you know, questioning everything, but also accepting like whatever universal truths do exist, whether it's in sport, classroom, whatever. I don't, I don't think you have to choose I think it's more being able to apply in your context what those truths are for you, but also then questioning, like, not did it work? It's why did it work or why did it not work? What makes this a consistent habit that we can create and what does it replace? So it's almost like, you know, we talked about decluttering a while back. I think unlearning is decluttering one's mind and decluttering one's like sort of Rolodex or library of like stuff that you think should happen. Like I find myself now, I mean, to the point where like I will forget vital pieces of information that I, I mean, things that I thought were vital pieces of information and we do something in practice and then I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I forgot to tell you all this. And, and to me, that's just like more of a scaffold on whatever we're doing. But back in the day, it would have been an extra one minute of instruction. Right. So I've sort of unlearned that. I don't have to do all of those things right then and there. And it's OK if they don't have that one piece of information. It's not the end of the world. And so. I think unlearning also helps us become extremely efficient and we can allow more time on task, especially from a feedback from a instruction or direction point of view where like the actual coaching that is taking place is taking place far more efficiently because I've unlearned all of these things that I thought I needed to include in what we were doing. Right. And so I think that reflective process, whether it happens in the moment or it happens before, like, Sometimes I don't even read the practice plan. I just like know what we're doing next. And I'm, I just go with it. And then I see something and that becomes the instruction, right? Or like if we're playing 100 point games in practice, like you just remind them of the scoring system and then just go, right? Prior it was, here's this, 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 and this. We're just going to stop it in the middle of what we're doing. Right. And so I've unlearned that part too. I think four years ago, my last year being a head coach, I didn't do that. I didn't stop it enough. And so I've unlearned over the course of being an assistant, like this habit of just letting it go when clearly we're not getting what we're supposed to be doing or to point out in celebration being a form of accountability, right? Like we can celebrate each other and that's okay. I think that's an unlearning piece too, right? Most coaches probably wouldn't agree with that that celebration is a form of accountability or we can stop practice 
to to celebrate something that happened and not make it like a one-off thing because we're trying to make a kid feel really good it just becomes a regular part of practice um you know i probably received the greatest compliment i've ever received as a coach today when a player was like i'm sorry i just like i really look forward to practice it's fun for me you know i don't know how many players have said that to you kyle but like that's something to unlearn as well is like you take that feedback and you're like man that is awesome I'm so glad she feels that way. Not what am I doing wrong? Practice shouldn't be fun. Practice is supposed to be hard. Practice is supposed to be like a grind. Like, no, we can, we can find joy in practice and it can still be hard and be a grind. But I think that's a, like a, like a behavior and a, uh, a mindset that you and I both had to unlearn fairly quickly. Otherwise we weren't going to be able to get and keep jobs our teams just weren't very good. Do you think a big part of it, and I'm thinking more for us, was getting into the mindset of like chaos is good, that messiness is good, that everything had to be like clean and crisp and we were a machine and we, you know, we were out here drilling like crazy, but that didn't translate, you know, to the, the chaotic messiness of the game or even learning because, because, Again, we've talked about like learning environments are sort of chaotic and messy too, especially when you're forced to get into the real world where you've got to make decisions on the fly and deal with certain things. And, you know, you're dealing with people and egos and management and all this other stuff. And that, you know, and it's not in a lab, right? Where what we teach in a classroom, it's more of like a lab setting. And I think that was a big, big piece for me, at least, was having to retrain the brain and unlearn that like, Things didn't have to go per. I mean, how many perfection drills did we run back in the day? 10 crisp passes. And did you see, speaking of perfection drills, one of these guardians of the game had that on Instagram. Yeah. They're now doing these random perfection drills in practice to like keep their kids engaged. Like you're making, you're, you're doing layup lines. You got to make 10 layups in a row. Like that's, why are you sharing this content? But I, I think that's what we've been. That's what we thought was correct. That's what we've been told. Or that's what we grew up doing. And again, it's when you're when you're used to doing something for years on years on years, right? It's so hard to change anything anything that you're doing. Whether that be politically, spiritually, I mean anything. It's it's hard to ask certain like inalienable inherent truths that are just supposed to be fact. And again, you can carry that really into anything. In, in any area of life, but, you know, for those probably listening to this podcast, it's going to be coaching, leading, teaching. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I, I just go back to the, what I used to think were the biggest compliments that I would get as a coach. We were quote, very fundamental. We were clean. We were crisp. We looked like a machine out there. It was like a military coming in. We were just prim and proper and it was great. And then the game would happen and we would be terrible. And little did I know what I thought was the greatest compliment I was getting was ultimately the the worst compliment that I was. And so I, the, the other thing from a, a, a teaching perspective where my mind goes back to was, you know, these other things that you hear is we got to get to content on day one and we've got to teach bell to bell. And you and I probably went on the absolute uh, 
opposite, you know, antithesis of this where like I was just by pure stubbornness going to be like, you know, F you, you know, we're not doing content for two weeks. Like bet, watch We're we're going to, I'm going to go the exact opposite way, which I'm not necessarily suggesting, but like, I'm going to prove to you. We don't have I'll to talk about it. content. You won't suggest it. I'll suggest it. I think I have no skin in the game, right? Do it. Do well, that's that's true. Do go go, go an entire week, go two weeks without getting into content and just get to know your kids and teach life skills and thinking and speaking and communicating and questioning and feedback and go through all those things. And then you'll you'll see how the how the content flows in so much more naturally and easily. And I again I think that was a huge thing. Like I did not admit that for so many years that that's what we were doing in class and almost kind of hoping that the kids didn't go home and tell their parents that we hadn't gotten anything yet because we're supposed to get to vocab section 1.1, you know, on Monday when we hand the syllabus out and, but there were, there are other pathways to success and that might not necessarily be a pathway for somebody else, but it worked for us. And the funny thing is now that I'm, you know, we're sitting here kind of rambling through some of this. I was at a, a staff launching today and heard somebody yell out, Coach K, Coach Cav, and turned around. And it was a kid that I coached in my very first job Wow! when I was 23 years old. I'm 38. So this is 14, 15 years ago at the very first job I had. And he was like, hey, Coach K, oh, what's going on? And walked up, gave me this big hug. I haven't seen the kid since. It's been 14 to 15 years. And we sit there and talk like old times. What are you doing? Oh, I'm working over here for grounds. I'm doing this. I'm all over the place. Like, man, that's awesome. You know, what are you up to? And we kind of got to catch up for a little bit. And one of my assistants was with me and we were kind of walking away. And he was like, he was like, was that a former, you know, student or player? And I was like, yeah, I taught him. And we, I coached him, you know, good, great kid, big, tall kid, you know, wasn't great at basketball, but you know, it was whatever. And he was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I have a teacher that I would holler at that I would seek out and and go up to and talk to like much less 14 years later, like even recognize who they are and like want to go up and talk to them. And it was just, that was a neat moment for me today because it was almost like some validation of like, okay, you have, we have been doing it right. You know, sort at least part of us in some, some capacity all along by prioritizing the human component by prioritizing the recruiting and the relationship and the connection, because I might not have known what that was 14 years ago and really was leaning into it, but there's always been a part of that, a part of who you and I are. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was time timely today, but it was extremely powerful and it was just a, a, a nice, um, I don't know, reaffirming moment, I guess that like, no, this is, We've been we've been sort of on to this for for quite a while. We just never really knew it, and then we don't think we were confident enough, or at least I wasn't, to fully lean into those things back then, because we felt like we had to continue with these norms and these traditions and couldn't, you know, buck conventional wisdoms. Um, but it was just nice knowing that okay, there was a there was a piece of us in there somewhere that always kind of wanted to do it a little bit differently than what everybody else was saying. I just don't think we were confident enough. I wasn't confident enough uh, in myself to really get into that until probably took me five or six years to really start leaning into it. And then definitely the last seven or eight with you where it's been like, nope, this is kind of who I really am. And I don't care if anybody else thinks this is crazy or they're not into it or anything like that. But that 
reflection and that raka and that that ability and willingness to unlearn and kind of find myself has been probably the most rewarding journey that I think I've ever been on. Yeah, I, I it's been fun to feel dumb. Yeah, that's a great because, way to put nobody it. Nobody would ever say that, right? Like that's like a silly right. statement to make. But it has been fun to feel dumb. It has been fun to like have those moments. And this may be where like we talk a little bit about growth mindset. I know we've been going for a while. I mean, it's obviously certainly important to have a part two, especially when we talk about parents. So like that was tonight's chat um, was about parents, but and like unlearning for parents and things, but like, it's been nice to know that in, in, you know, being 35, I still have things to unlearn. I have plenty of things to unlearn. And it's almost like, you know, you, you do create this growth mindset for yourself because if you're not willing to grow, you can't unlearn. And we expect our players to be willing to learn and grow and be stretched and all of these things. And I'm telling you, man, 14 to 18 years old, 18 to 22, I had no interest in being stretched. Like you think you know everything. They think they know everything. They got a million voices in their head from all different people telling them they know this, that, and the other. When in reality, the more reflection that can happen early, the more unlearning can happen early. <laughs> and when that unlearning happens early, we can keep it essential for our kids and for our parents and for our stakeholders and for everybody. We don't get bogged down in, well, I thought we were supposed to do it that way. I thought it was this. I thought it was that. No, like, we, we essentially are able to create the roadmap for what we know works and what we know should be happening. And then we have less that we need and we reduce that complexity and variability like we've talked about in the past. Like Then we have less things that we need to unlearn so we, then we can add more things if we want to to then go through and reflect about because we do have that solid foundation that's been caused or has been sort of the product of unlearning. Um. You know, I I don't know. I I really have enjoyed the 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 feeling of like, yeah, I never really thought about it that way, huh? Let's try it. Let's see what happens, right? And it goes back to our experimentation piece, because um, I think that's a lot of what unlearning is too, right? It's a science. You talked about it earlier, like the scientific method. Like it is a science um, to go through a certain process to figure out what we thought might be the case isn't really the case and here's why and that's what i think at the, at the very basis like at the very base level that's what unlearning is i think the the piece you just landed on there is there's a confidence to unlearning and the earlier we get used to that the more the the, the, the more quickly and easily we can get to knowing like hey this is a potential pathway for you that you can do that and the funny thing is as you mentioned like you're you're young and dumb um, and we think that like, oh, well, I was young and dumb back then. And it's like, well, if that was our dumbest self, then why would we constantly lean on what we thought we knew back then? 
if we are young and dumb, all we all we know at that age is what's being told to us. We haven't figured anything out for ourselves. But the, the problem is that we don't have people around us empowering us to unlearn. And I think that's probably one of the most impactful things that you can do as a, as a, as a leader uh, or somebody that's willing to kind of go down a pathway like this of, of unlearning is to not only do that for yourself, but to create the confidence un in unlearning for others and empower them to do so. But I, I do feel like that's a scary thought if you're managing people, because now the village is thinking for themselves. We've, we've taught the village idiots how to read. And that right there is one of the scariest things that most people in a, in a position of, of management or, or power don't want to have happen. But I think if we're going to sit here and talk about the things that you and I talk about, exponential generational change and making the world a better place and the next creation, you know, generation of leaders and fathers and mothers and all those things, then it, it, and we, we have a, a responsibility and maybe this is where we go with this in terms of empowering players, parent, whoever they are, is that we have a responsibility to model the, the process of unlearning, to, to model the messiness, the chaos, the, the chaoticness, the, the uneasiness of it, the sort of the, the, the scary nature of, of going and finding out what we don't know, being willing to put ourselves out there to say, I might not know something or I might not know the best way and I'm going to go out there and explore it and understand that it might take some time. But we eventually get to a point where we find some confidence in ourselves in that unlearning process. And then we have the ability to empower those around us to go down the same path. Mm -hmm.